0: Have you ever experienced feelings of overload? Um, The feeling when you thought, okay, I cannot cope with this work anymore. It's just never ending. It never stops. I get no respite. And besides that, I also have perhaps my family obligations, my children, uh, my hobbies, and I just don't have enough time for anything anymore. Um, This is a feeling that is shared by a lot of employees all over the world, especially now we're in kind of the midst of the COVID pandemic in July 2020. It's even more striking and there's even more a feeling of this uh, overload and and overwhelm. So in this episode, I'm so happy to be speaking and be joined by Professor Erin L. Kelly, who is the Sloan Distinguished Professor of Work and Organization Studies at the MIT Sloan School of Management, and an affiliate of the MIT Institute for Work and Employment Research and the Good Companies Good Jobs Initiative. Um, She is the co-author of this book, which I'm actually holding in my hand, called Overload, How Good Jobs Went Bad and What We Can Do About It. The book was co-authored and the research was carried out together with Phyllis Mohn, who is a McKnight Presidential Chair, Professor of Sociology, and Director of the Life Course Center at the University of Minnesota, Her books include, most recently, Encore Adulthood, Boomers on the Edge of Risk, Renewal and Purpose. Um, And this research uh, that resulted in the book Overload has also been featured in the New York Times Magazine. The book is published by Princeton Press, and in this conversation, we're going to be Uh, going really into the nuts and bolts of this fantastic project that took half of the workforce in this IT department of the company and implemented the STAR approach to them, which uh, involved training of uh, line managers and lots of training, lots of empowerment to employees to understand uh, how, when and where their best work gets done. So let's listen to this conversation.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com.
0: So thank you so much, Erin, for joining me on this podcast conversation today. I'm so pleased to to finally get the chance to talk to you about this wonderful book. Um, even though listeners cannot see that, I'm actually holding in my hands, uh, <laughs> which is called Overlord. So thank you very much for, for being here today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So uh, the conversation today is going to focus around the book, uh, which is called Overload: How Good Jobs Went Bad and What We Can Do About It. And I think that probably now, early July 2020, this book is even more pertinent and uh, relevant than if it has ever been. And one of the messages of the books is that your message is that it's time to craft new ways of working and something that leads us to sane and sustainable work. And the book is one half problem analysis, and we're going to talk about that, and one half solution, which is the STAR approach. We're going to be talking about that too. But I just needed to say at the beginning of the conversation that when you say crafting new ways of working, I think so many people right now are thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I'm working from my dining room table or I've been working from my kitchen table or my kids' bedroom, so I can relate to new ways of working. But you and the research team and and your colleague, Phyllis Moon, you have really gone beyond this working from home, working in the office, flexible working uh, part of the discourse, and you really took it to the next level and I think mm-hmm. that's why this book is so important to you really you really took it to the essence but so without uh, running ahead of myself, I wanted to first ask you a little bit to give the listeners a background who who are not familiar with your research or not familiar with the star approach so how did you get to go into this company and do these 400 interviews and several waves of surveys and really get down to the nuts and bolts of what it means for people to be overwhelmed.
1: Sure, I'll start there. Um, So thank you so much for recognizing that we are working in new ways right at this moment because of the pandemic. But this book was actually written well before that, and we hope it has relevance after that. The book is authored, as you mentioned, by myself and Phyllis Mullen, who's a sociologist at the University of Minnesota. And we were part of a large research team called the Work, Family, and Health Network. And our task as a large research team was to think about the ways that work impacts family and personal life, but also the ways that work impacts health and well being. And to look for promising approaches that might support the health and well being of workers, we were funded um, by a number of foundations, but also by the health agency of the U.S. government, the National Institutes of Health, or the health research arm of the U.S. government. And so we went talking to a wide variety of firms, and a large firm that we call Tomo, that's not the company's real name, but that's our pseudonym, was very interested in um, exploring how things could change for their workers. We concentrated on their IT division, so their information technology professionals and managers. They're a highly educated group of workers, software developers and testers and you know, IT people. Um, but when we first started talking with them, the firm recognized that their employees were burning out, that some of their best employees were leaving the organization to go elsewhere. And that people were feeling what we came to call overloaded, like they were asked to do just too much. And so the firm invited us in, and our larger research team was able to test whether this change um, that we call STAR, and I can talk about that more if you'd like, whether that benefited employees and the firm, and we also had um, some studies that looked at benefits for family members, too.
0: So, um, out of curiosity, because of, you know, your background of work-life uh, scholars, mm-hmm. um, did you have already an inkling um, where you're going to go with with the star, and, and, and what is going to be the the, the approach that's going to work um, or were you at the very beginning of the project, were you still approaching that as you know flexible working and leaves? you know the the mm-hmm. classical levers that when we speak about work life balance work life uh, conflict that that's what you know the majority of the discourse is about is about we need to promote pa- fathers taking parental leave we need to have uh, teleworking we need flexible working at least in Europe where we have now you new, new EU level directive of uh, work life balance you know that mm-hmm. these are the buttons that we believe needs to be pushed so out of curiosity at at the very beginning of the project did you Think those will somehow also get the forefront and work, or, or were you already by then as advanced in the methodology that you you knew that it's going to be more about um, uh, work redesign and 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 managing the workload? I would say yes and no. <laughs> we
1: um, when we went in when we started talking with this company, we had already done some pilot studies, so Phyllis Moen and I had led a team studying um, the results only work environment at Best Buy, and our colleagues Ellen Kosick and Leslie Hammer had developed a set of supervisor training uh, materials that they had tested in another firm, And so, what we wanted to do was combine those in a way that would help, that would build on some older approaches of flexible work policies and, you know, encouraging managers to be more supportive of their employees, but would come together in a way that we hoped would be even more effective. And I guess we draw a contrast between flexible work policies that are set up as accommodations. Particularly in the U.S., we don't have any right to request flexibility laws. So when a person um, wants to work differently, wants to work at home, wants to um, downshift their hours and say, do 75% time in the same job or wants to change their schedule, they would need to ask a manager and that manager could say yes or no. That's basically Mm -hmm. it. And so we wanted to avoid that individually negotiated approach Mm -hmm. because we could see a lot of dilemmas that come out of doing it that way. And so what we tried to do was create this team approach what we call dual agenda work redesign approach, where a whole team sits down together and talks through when, where, and how we want to do our work and how you can coordinate the work effectively, but start from the assumption that everyone has flexibility and that we're all supporting each other as whole people and addressing family and personal concerns as well as our paid work.
0: So now in terms of the approach, so the method that you used, uh, which is called STAR, support, transform, achieve results. um, Can you explain a little bit the kind of the main framework or the main pillars and and how did that work? Sure.
1: So there there are, in concrete terms, we delivered STAR in two stages. The first stage was having frontline managers, so managers who were, say, supervising a team of eight to, you know, 30 maybe uh, employees, they went through some training that gave them, um, that encouraged them to think about how they support people's personal lives as a core part of their role. You know, and it it often began with the recognition that managers want to be supportive of their employees, and managers believe they are supportive of their employees. But here we drew on some of Ellen Kosick and Leslie Hammer's earlier research that showed employees you know, see a certain level of support that's much lower than managers believe that they're conveying. So basically, there's a little bit of a disconnect in how managers express their support. And managers were given, um, it was like an iPad, you can think of it like a smartwatch now or a Fitbit that just binged them a few times a day to encourage them to prioritize talking to employees about what they needed and you know, deliberately demonstrating their support for employees' family and personal lives. So that was one component and the goal there was to create new habits of talking about our personal lives and to be explicit in trying to problem solve together about what could we do that would be helpful to each person. The second component was a set of participatory workshops where teams sat down together with a facilitator and did some role plays, did some strategizing, asked each other questions. And the goal there was to help people imagine that they could work much more flexibly, but where that wasn't individually negotiated or treated as a special accommodation, but just was built into the core of how the team did its work. And in that part of the workshop, um, people would often talk about why are we doing as much as we're doing? And what could we take away that would allow us to feel less overloaded Um, Do we need all of these meetings? If we're not having all of these meetings, then how are we gonna coordinate and make sure the project is unfolding? And teams got really creative about how they did their work. Um, Some of that was increasing work at home, but another important part of it was really talking through how do we wanna communicate and coordinate and really work together as a team
0: one of the key learnings in the book uh, to, towards the end of the book is about um, encouraging employees and employers to think through when and how they get their best work done so if they need to focus mm-hmm. on work then you know can they uh, work from home better or from the office or from I don't know a co-working place um, so in a way, From my point of view, what I've seen this this project really is shifting, has been shifting the the responsibility of work-life conflict and then the subsequent health and mental health and other uh, family implications from the employee to the employer. And um, was that a strange experience for both, for both the employer to say, oh, what? why should I care if Johnny, you know, had childcare or not? Or, And then also for the employee, was that strange for them to think, okay, so I need to be much more open and forthcoming with my, you know, with my private issues, even if I think that's maybe going to set me back in my career. I'm just wondering about this shift of mm-hmm. opening up this conversation, but also shifting the the responsibility.
1: I think that there are, firms, there are companies where it would feel risky to share as much as as these employees were encouraged to share. But I think that part of what happens with this team-based approach and part of the reason we call it work redesign is you're not just changing what you do, but you're really talking through what do we expect of each other and what are people rewarded for or penalized for. And so, you know, I think people became more comfortable that it was legitimate and acceptable to turn off your email for two hours because you wanted, you know, to go to a kid's concert in the middle of the, of the workday um, and, and not feel compelled to be subtly monitoring the email while you're sitting watching the concert, you know, or something like that. Um, It was also legitimate and appropriate to turn off your email for three hours um, some mornings so that you could do the real work, so you could concentrate on the work without the constant interruptions. And I think that part of the reason that this became acceptable and was appreciated by employees and managers alike is that people were motivated, they could see the value for how they did their work. People would say things like, I used to love working here, but we've been working at such a fast pace for so long that I just know I'm not doing the best quality work that I would like to do. So there are personal and family benefits, but there are all people also experience this as a way to work more effectively. And so both their personal goals and their professional pride were being supported by this new way of working. Mm,
0: it's, it's fantastic. I, I find that so fascinating. Um, now, uh, the work-life geek in me would like to mm-hmm. ask a, <laughs> a rather t- technical question because what you have done is you divided the employees in this IT department into half of the participants' Participated in the dual agenda work in, in the work redesign, and half of the participants kept on working as business as usual. And and to compare the, the the benefits and the effects, what were the things that you could measure? Because this is, I find, one of the challenges always to, um, especially in knowledge work, uh, mm-hmm. work that is just. Flowing, and it's not a question of when you get your work done, but when do you maybe stop doing what you're doing? Um, but also, in terms of you know, we, we know when we are stressed, so you can measure blood pressure and burnout. But we're how do we measure when people start to be happy and start to be more <laughs> satisfied? So, I would like to, to, to get to that point a little bit. Is what were the kind of the data or the the measurements that you could sure. you find and, and monitor to see about the effects?
1: Sure. Well, um, this is where it was great to be part of a large and brilliant team of interdisciplinary scholars, because We each brought expertise into certain outcomes, you know, and um, as as this larger team, the Work Family and Health Network, we were able to put together surveys that captured many different outcomes. And those, I'll just say, um, the publications from our journal articles that kind of go outcome by outcome are all available on the workfamilyhealthnetwork.org website. And then the book kind of tells the story of how the organizational change unfolded as well as summarizing those findings. So to get to your, your question, we did measure burnout. We measured job satisfaction. Those are with standard scales. We measured um, psychological distress, which is a measure of poor mental health that hasn't reached you know, a clinical diagnosis of anxiety or depression or something. Um, And all of those outcomes moved in a positive direction for the employees who were in STAR. And that's a place where actually psychological distress and perceived stress changed more for women than for men. In most of our outcomes, we see broad benefits for parents and people who don't have kids at home, for men and for women, for all ages. But in stress and psychological distress, these professional women started out at a higher level of despair, and STAR brought them down to a much lower level. Um, Men were doing better at the beginning, and so STAR had less dramatic effects on their subjective well-being, their stress and psychological distress. Going beyond those measures, we did measure uh, work-family conflicts, work-to-family conflict, family-to-work conflict, whether people felt they had enough time to be with their families. Um, We saw improvements in those. We had a sub-sample led by our Penn State colleagues where the adolescent children of the employees in this company were surveyed. And from that subsample we found teens were spending more time with their parents. If mm-hmm. their parents had been on a randomly assigned, you know, their, their parents were part of the STAR initiative as compared to their counterparts who were continuing on with the company policies. And we found some benefits to to teens' sleep patterns Mm. and also to teens' um, negative affect or how they kind of, their mood in response to everyday challenges. Um, We had employees wear sleep watches or actigraphy watches, so we have objectively measured sleep as well as people's reports of sleep quality, like, you know, feeling tired when you wake up. And we saw improvements in employees' sleep if they if their team was a part of STAR. So that's kind of some of the health and well-being and family life outcomes. In terms of the business impacts, you're right, it is so hard to measure productivity or performance in knowledge work. And so what we were able to do from our surveys was show that there were no changes in work hours. So work hours didn't increase, but didn't decrease either, except for among parents, there was a small decrease of about one hour a week. Um, We had a measure of self-rated productivity, and we don't find changes in that self-rated productivity. But what our interviews allowed us to see is that people felt much better about the way they were working. Story after story about the guilt's been lifted and I'm so much happier and I love Star and things like that. Um, And so, you know, we don't have quantitative measures of changes in productivity, but we do have increases in job satisfaction and we have fewer people quit the firm, voluntarily leave this company in the three years after Star rolled out as compared to the comparison group.
0: Mm, this is fantastic. It's so interesting and thank you so much for explaining it so clearly and succinctly. And I just wanted to jump on two aspects that you mentioned. One of them definitely you know, strikes home is the one about teenagers. Because uh, not just because I have uh, uh, two myself Me too. Uh, <laughs> um, and if anything can improve their mood i 'm game, <laughs> um, but the fact that you know work life discourse, um, parental policies, family policies, company policies are still so much focused on the early years you know the, the, the just getting the working parents over those first three years. As a parent of teenagers, I don't know, Erin, if you agree, this is harder than, you know, when they were a baby. I find that I have so much more pressure on making sure that they grow into fully functioning human beings. Uh, I find the responsibility very, you know, there in terms of um, how can I orient them in their lives? How can I help them navigate social media? Uh, Why are they locked up in their room so much? So... Um, I, I find that really brings home a point.
1: Yes. I mean, I would say my kids didn't sleep until five
0: through the night until 5. So mm.
1: these years, teen years are much easier for me yes. than <laughs> their, their younger years. But I think it does make sense. And we know that um, when parents are available, when parents are moving through their day with less stress, then kids come to us more. And teens are more open to either talking with us or just sitting next to us on the couch, each of us doing our work on the laptops, you know? I mean, I think that um, it is important to be available both mentally and sometimes physically to our children at all ages.
0: Absolutely. And the second point I wanted to to um, latch on is the one about uh, you mentioning the stress level and and the the mental health um, challenges for the professional women, as you said, I mean despair. That's that's a pretty strong word. Um, and you know now, article after article is coming out about the struggles of working women and working mothers uh, and working women who are carers about the the devastating effect of the lockdowns and the pandemic. So I. I definitely think that there's a huge relevance for the work that you've done now. Uh, we ran a survey asking uh, people's experiences with the lockdown. And when we had a comment section where they could just write down you know, their experience or what they would have liked from their uh, direct uh, manager or their direct supervisor... Answer after answer, they said, I would have liked them to extend the deadline. I wanted them to reduce the workload. I wanted them to show empathy and understand that this is very hard for me. Um, so I, I really believe that there is something we can learn. And the the, the, the tool and the, um, the skills and the um, approach that STAR is offering to managers is, I think, more relevant perhaps than, than ever. And, and I think it's an emergency for more organizations to, to, to get on board with this.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that the best case interpretation of what the pandemic has done with stay-at-home orders and, you know, all of this kind of rush to work it from home is that it's disrupted old patterns And it's shown that there are possibilities for more remote work and more varied schedules in many different types of jobs. But the worst case is that this is a recipe for additional overload. People are being asked to do more at work, like do your regular job and figure out how we're going to change in these 300 ways because we're in a new era. Employees don't have a sense of control. They were not able to choose this, and they're not able to choose a mix of time in the office and at home, which is probably ideal for most people. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there's the extra work on the family and personal side. People are swamped with urgent caregiving responsibilities Um, For children, also urgent concerns about the older adults in their lives. We have our own health worries that may be affecting us. So it's really not a fair test of work from home done right. And I think that's really important for managers and executives to realize. At the same time, if we took this moment and said, We know we can work differently. We need to figure out as a team or as a company how we're gonna approach this. I think that the work redesign tools that our study um, evaluated and that are freely available can be adapted. You know, the kinds of conversations that people engaged in in our study can be borrowed and used right now for how do we want to work together? How do we show support for each other? What are we doing that's not actually urgent and we need to set aside right now so that we can do a good job of what we absolutely must do? But we can also push ourselves to you know, recognize that we need to work in sane and sustainable ways.
0: This is, I think, a fantastic time to ask you uh, where uh, the listeners can find these resources.
1: Sure, sure, thank you. So um, all of the training materials that our team studied are available for free at workfamilyhealthnetwork.org. So it's one word, no hyphens or anything, just workfamilyhealthnetwork.org. And then, of course, in the book, which is called Overload, Um, We describe how teams use that, and we kind of tell the story and bring this approach to change to life. And the book is available, of course, from Amazon or from Princeton University Press uh, website.
0: Thank you so much for for this. Uh, Before we go to the last question, I also wanted to ask you um, about... Uh, one one of the arguments, because of course we still somehow need to sell work-life balance to organizations. But one of the arguments for the business case of why organizations should look at flexible working and and uh, and all of that is that when managers learn how to manage a team that works more flexibly, that works based on results and not so much by time that is allowed to work where and when and how they think they will be able to produce their best work for the organizations, then managers simply become better managers. Is that also something that you were able to tease out about the skills and experiences of the managers themselves, of the supervisors, how they felt about their evolution into better managers? I love that point. Sometimes I do
1: feel like this is really giving teams a chance to do things right and managers encouraging managers to manage in a smarter way. Um, We don't have any kind of formal measure of manager performance, but we did hear many stories in our interviews about feeling that you could really focus on the strategic decisions or on the big picture issues on supporting the team and developing employees now that they weren't that some of the phrases that people would use were you know monitoring uh, when people are in their seats or you know kind of paying so much attention to the time but instead creatively supporting their employees and doing their best work. Um, And I hear you about trying to sell the new way of working and wanting to have strong evidence for that, in part because of our findings about reduced turnover for employees in STAR, we can show that if the company had paid for everything it took to implement STAR, they would have saved $1.60 for every dollar they invested in this initiative Mm -hmm. because of this reduced turnover. So I think one of the messages in building the business case is that we need to also help executives and managers see the costs of the current ways of working. Mm -hmm. What What are the problems that you just accept as acceptable, um, but which are actually costly to the firm and to the team's performance now.
0: That's a fantastic paradigm shift, I think, and a very, very important message. Um, now, coming to the last question, if I could ask you on the basis of your experience with the Star Project, writing the book, listening to all these interviews on you know, what would you advise to leadership in other organizations, and how this this approach could be somehow brought to the masses? Uh, what would be your advice to leaders in terms of shifting to these new uh, ways of working?
1: Well, I think one is to just give it a go, to to be willing to experiment and to see that. It's important to approach these changes not just as one single new policy, but as a new culture, a new orientation to how employees are going to work. I guess a little less abstractly, I think managers should make it the default that employees decide when and where they work. Now, of course, you know if you're studi- if you're in a nursing home or you're in a retail, you have to think about what is uh, having employee input to schedules look like in those contexts. But in the white-collar world, it should be the default that employees decide when and where they work, and teams and managers together should work to get to identify what are the low-value tasks that we can drop. How are things working for us and what could be working better? Um, And managers can also demonstrate, you know, through role modeling that they too are willing to address personal concerns and family responsibilities and protect their own health, which then kind of solidifies the message that this is the team culture.
0: Hmm fantastic well thank you so much erin i you know always always enjoy listening to you um your wealth and depth of experience on 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 the domain of work life uh, issues is is just so impressive so i feel very honored and, and humbled that you joined me on this podcast conversation and i want to wish you really the best of success with the book but also your your future projects and initiatives Thank you so
1: much. I'm also a fan of yours, Agnes, and and I really appreciate the invitation.